Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. For those of you that uh, are newer to St. Andrews or maybe came uh, during Christmas, uh, we had begun a, a series in the fall on the book of Ephesians. And that is our, our typical way here at St. Andrews. We work straight through books of the Bible. Uh, when it came to Thanksgiving and Advent, we took some time out and uh, had another series, uh, particularly to the Incarnation and uh, the nature of, of Christ, using his names. Well, now we're back in Ephesians, and uh, I've been looking forward to this. I thoroughly enjoy Advent here, and I enjoyed uh, this season especially, but I'm glad to be back in uh, the book of Ephesians. But let me, let me kind of bring us up to speed. Uh, obviously, since we, we began it in September, I can't thoroughly summarize, but just to give you an idea of uh, this book and where we have come. Uh, it, was, it was written by the Apostle Paul and written to uh, believers there in Ephesus. Now, he had worked among those people. He had a great love for the people in Ephesus, and uh, the book of Acts talks about, uh, you know, how hard it was when he uses the term, tore himself away from uh, the Ephesian elders when he had to leave and move on to plant other churches and so on. So he had a real affinity with them. But uh, Ephesus as, as a city, was a, it was a great city uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, it would have made the list of the places to live. You know how you always see those? And you always look to see where Columbia is ranked. And I would rank it high up there. But I don't think I've ever seen it on the list yet. But it will be. It's working its way up. But Ephesus, you know, because it had everything. But it also had followers of Diana. Followers of other gods. And the Christians found themselves in a minority there. And it wasn't just uh, a minority, it was in hostile circumstances. Now that makes a difference. They weren't a respected minority. They were a looked-down-upon minority. And it was difficult. And so if you can put yourself in those circumstances and, and think, you know, it, it's, it's difficult at times to live the Christian life because we face everything that everyone else faces. Now, the difference is we face it with the Lord. But that doesn't mean it's not painful to walk through this life. And so imagine facing those difficult things really believing and yet feeling persecuted and discouraged 
So what is the Apostle Paul, their pastor, who had spent a great deal of time with them, what, what's he going to say to this group of people to encourage them and to fortify them? Well, he surprises maybe some of us by what he says. Because he begins with perhaps the longest sentence in the Bible. But he begins with the nature of God and what salvation really is in terms of how God works. He gives us a glimpse into the way the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit save their people. And, and so the first thing he talks about is predestination and election. Well, he continues on and he ties it in the only way you can present predestination and election with the love of God. In love, he says, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So he says to these people that are struggling, <clears throat> look, he chose you for the purpose of his will. That's how he began to encourage them. And so he continues on with that sentence and, and cascades truth after truth, uh, which would have, I believe, in a po the most positive sense, just overwhelmed them with, of course, <clears throat> that's what we knew, but we needed to hear it again. And then in chapter 2, which, by the way, when he wrote it, there wasn't a chapter 2. It was all one, one letter. That's just for our convenience. But in, in chapter 2, then, he goes from uh, the perspective of, of God and what he has done to reminding them of their own salvation and reminding them where they were. He says, you... You were dead in your sins and trespasses. And so he reminds them that they were in the most hopeless estate that they could not save themselves. And then says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. He had just told them how dead they were and that they, that they couldn't save themselves. And then the only answer to that is, therefore, you've received a gift. It's not of your own works because that would not have been sufficient. And then he talks about them as, his, as God's workmanship. He moves on then in chapter 2 and begins to apply much of what he has just said. And he addresses a very real problem 
in the church there, that of the rift between Jews and Gentiles, both of whom had come to Christ. And maybe you remember, this was right before Advent. He talks about how Jesus broke down that wall of partition. Remember the wall? We talked about it. The the wall in the temple. Where the Gentiles were left on one side of the wall. And they could only go so far in the temple. And they would have looked at that wall and said, "I, I hate this wall. It stops me. And then the Jew would walk right on beyond that through the opening and all the way to where they could worship. And as they walked out, perhaps they might have touched the wall and said, I love this wall. It keeps them out. Well, now, in Christ, there is a new community where those that once were on that side of the wall and those were on, that were on that side of the wall, it says Jesus broke down the wall and so you, there is no wall between you, but evidently some continued to act as if the wall were there. And that's where we pick up as he continues to uh, apply this in Ephesians chapter 2. We'll begin with verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both, okay, the far off and the near, the Jew, the Gentile, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Your word says you are our peace. And Lord, that's what we need. We are not in a peaceful world Many of us are not living peaceful lives because of trials or difficulties that we are facing. But Jesus, you are our peace. Will you teach us today? But but more than that, will you meet us? Because you are our greatest need, whether we know it or not, The Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest need of everyone in this room. And so by your Spirit, will you introduce or reintroduce yourself to us or help us to get to know you deeper? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So he begins by saying, look, 
you're not who you were. Don't think you are. Verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Strangers and aliens. That's, that's the phrase that he had uh, used earlier uh, back in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's when you were dead in your transgressions and sin. So that's what you were. But he, he says, but that's not you now. You were strangers and aliens. Now I want you to think just for a moment about our country. What in your mind are the greatest divides that we're experiencing in our country right now? Just think about it. And I'll tell you what I would say if somebody were to ask me that. I would say, I think the two greatest divides in our country right now are, are racial and political. And I think those divides are deep. And I think they're serious. And I think some of those are worse than they were a few years ago, but I know some of them are much better than they were. But I think they need to be addressed. I want you to understand this then as you think of it, because if, if you agree with me in your mind, whether those are the two or not, maybe you've thought of other divides. Whatever divide you can think of in our country at this point what they experienced in Ephesus was much deeper. So if you think what we're facing is serious, understand what they were facing was even deeper than anything we face. And by the way, those divides in our country, because we're the new community, I don't believe those should be divides within the church. And if they are, we need to deal with them. But what they were experiencing between uh, the Jew and the Gentile was so ingrained in them that they were having real trouble within the church. They couldn't get over it. And so that's what Paul is addressing. And here's why. He says... You're not what you were back when the divide was there. But in Christ, here's what you are. You are fellow citizens and members of the household of God. I think in essence he's saying, so act like it. He's reminding them of their identity. 
this is now who you are. Why are you still acting like strangers and aliens and foreigners? Because that which divided you has been dealt with in the work of Jesus Christ. Now, in Christ, there is no citizen that doesn't have full citizen rights. He says over in Galatians 3, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, this is what he says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now understand he's talking about identity. Because we, we, we do understand that there are male and female, right? And that's not a bad thing. That's what he created. But he's saying in terms of your worth and your value, in terms of what it costs Jesus Christ on the cross, you are exactly equal before him. And then he, he, he says something that to them is absolutely radical. He says, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. To call a Gentile Abraham's offspring is to redefine relationships. That's where we see the new community the, that exists in new life in Christ. It's a community where sharing the blood of Christ means more than sharing physical blood. A Gentile in Christ. Here's what Paul's saying. Now remember, Paul, Paul was a Jew. But he's saying a Gentile in Christ is more akin to Abraham Who's Abraham, the father of the Jews, right? The father of Israel. But a Gentile who's in Christ is more akin to him than a Jew who is not in Christ. That's why it's so radical. And, and that's the kind of thing that caused riots. Because it was so radical in him talking about this new community. Let me, let me use some of our words in our day. And I'm sure there are much better ones than this, but, but let me throw some in here. You who are in Christ, there is neither American or non-American, black or white, Republican or Democrat, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Heirs according to the promise. 
That's the new community. Now, what's the basis of this unity? Let me read to you, starting with verse 19. He says this, So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So now he moves from the illustration of a family to one of building. And what he's saying is, look, we're not, we're, I'm going to use the illustration of stones and foundations and things like that, but I'm talking about you in the church. This is what he's building. And here's the basis of the unity. Uh, the apostles and prophets he mentions first. Now, that's another way of talking about uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The uh, apostles being the ones that God gave the New Testament through and the prophets being the ones that God gave the Old Testament through. So when, when you hear that phrase, the apostles and the prophets, you can think all of the Word of God. So he's saying, here is um, uh, the, the uh, foundation. R.C. Sproul says, both the apostles and prophets were divinely chosen, divinely called, divinely commissioned, divinely gifted, divinely inspired agents of revelation. So the Word of God is the, the foundation. Which, by the way, you chip away at that foundation, and what happens? The household fails. It quits being what it needs to be. And so we, we treasure that foundation. But he doesn't stop there. The question is, well, where's, where's Jesus in this? Well, you, you continue to read. Because I think we would tend to say, isn't Jesus our foundation? Paul says, this is the foundation, the Word of God. But then he says, of Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Now, we hear about cornerstones. In fact, this week, did you hear that in, in Boston, that they, they opened up a, a cornerstone? They've been there since the 1700s, and Paul Revere had put some stuff in there. And, you know, and that's, I think that's what we think of in terms of cornerstones. Um, and back then, it probably would have been closer to what Paul was talking about. But a, a lot of times, the cornerstone is something that's ceremonial. It's decorative. That's, that's the idea. But when Paul... What Paul was doing here was he was tying it to uh, masonry of that, that day. And here's what, how it would have worked. The cornerstone was the brick. And when I say brick, it would be a huge stone. You know, in the temple, it was like the size of a boxcar. <laughs> you know, 80 tons or something like that. But the cornerstone, when it was put in place, 
then the whole building lined up on that. And the way they built in that day, you know, you wouldn't have, you know, 50 years or 100 or a couple hundred years later pulled it out to see what, you know, uh, what kind of a time capsule or something was in there because if you'd pulled it out, the building would have fallen down. That was a, that was a true cornerstone. So that's what they would have been thinking of. And Paul's saying it's Christ Jesus. And the cornerstone of that day, the foundation would have been built into it and on it. Absolutely de- depending upon it. So here's what we have that, that's the basis for our unity. It's, it's the, the written word, the, the word of God, the Bible, and the living word. Jesus Christ. And not one without the other. They are both essential. And so the foundation that was laid is the basis of the church. The Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is not based on the law It's not based on rules. It's not based on opinions. It's not based on someone's leadership. But it's based on the Word of God and the living Word, on the Bible in Christ. Now let me me make one further point about how the apostles and and prophets are highlighted here. Uh, Paul in teaching uh, the church for the ages, because he, he, you know, he taught Ephesus, but he's teaching us as well, defined doctrines concerning marriage and the role of women and homosexuality and other uh, what we might call hot buttons of our day. And I've heard some say, well, you know what, I, I follow Jesus, but I don't like what Paul says. I've heard that. There are arguments to that. Paul was a misogynist. He hated women. He was prejudiced. Any, any number of things to undercut him. Well, the Word of God here is saying it's based on both. You don't, don't take Jesus without the, the Word of God. The only thing we know about Jesus comes from the Word of God. I mean, that's what we know about Jesus, right? And so, we, we cannot chip away at, at one or the other and think that we will go unharmed as a church. Now, thanks be to God that He has led our denomination to stand firm on both. Absolutely. You cannot get ordained in our in our denomination unless you absolutely believe in the authority and the inspiration, the infallibility of the Word of God and you're trusting in Christ alone and you see Him as our only and ultimate authority. There's another basis for unity that's mentioned here and that's because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, For through Him we both... Jew and Gentile, have access to one Spirit, to the Father. Verse 22, in Him 
you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, notice in this brief passage, you have all three persons of the Trinity mentioned in terms of their role with the church. You have access to the Father. You have Christ, the cornerstone, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in his people. Paul's saying that's the basis for unity. And what he's saying is, look, you, you Jews who are looking down on, on Gentiles or Gentiles who, who have a hatred for the Jews, you need to understand this, that the same Spirit dwells in both of you. And, and so that can't be. The way you're treating one another cannot exist. So we have Paul emphasize the church as one family. Now think about how the idea of the church as a family should look to people within the church and outside of the church because we're, we're talking about the new community, which is based on new life in Christ. The new community, a community that is different than the world we live in because it's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's built on the Word of God and upon Christ, and it gives us access to the Father. So what should a family be? Well, I, as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about our family at Christmas who got together, all our four kids and our five grandchildren were there and my sister and so on. Uh, so we, um, we had several generations there. And I think about the nature of the family. It should be a shelter and a fortress. And that's what the church should be. Yeah, and you know what happens in families, healthy families we're talking about. <laughs> um, siblings stick up for one another, don't they? They may fight, they may wrestle, they may, you know, they, they may, you know, do all that, but look. Somebody from the outside comes in. Usually the siblings will stick up for one another. That's the nature of the family. I, th I think this is a good illustration from Paul to talk about a household because we, we know what families ought to do. And a fam the family is a place for comfort. It should be comfortable where you can be yourself. The household of faith, the church, should be the safest place on earth for people to come to because we are to be a family. When you're yourself, you should be accepted. Not necessarily your actions, but accepted as part of the family. A family is a place where we can grow up. We call that discipleship here. Bible calls it that. All levels of knowledge. By the way, if you, if you came in here and you looked around and said, oh boy, these people all look smart. I think you look smart. And you know, sometimes people come into a church, they think, oh, they're all way ahead of me. I could never, I couldn't fit in here and so on. Well, let me just say this. They're not as smart as they look, okay? 
the reality is we're at all levels here. We have people who are, are brand new in Christ and people that have known and walked with him for a long time. And that's, that makes for a healthy family, doesn't it? You know, what, think of your own physical family. How would that be if everybody was the same age? How, how weird would that be? Who's going to learn from who? But that's the nature of a household, a place where we can learn and grow and be nurtured and taken care of and, and loved. You know, over Christmas, I could just sit in a chair in my living room and watch my family interacting. That, that was the, I mean, sometimes it was absolute chaos. But it, it was so joyful to me. I felt so blessed to just watch them. And that's the, that's the nature of a family, the love between one another. And a family should be where you don't need to be lonely. You know, I'm thinking of our, our family over Christmas, the few days they were all together. There was always someone to play with, <laughs> right? You know, go play with so-and-so, or let's play this, or let's play. You know, there was always somebody to play with. And that's, that's the way it should be in our, our church family. So many people in our society are so alone. Now, I... I I want to state this because you can be sitting in here today and you can feel very lonely. You can get lost in even this size crowd and feel all alone. That can be the case. That's one reason we have community groups in our, our church because the, the nature of our worship service is, is not fellowship with one another. It's, it's vertical primarily. And that's who we're trying to get to know better. And so it's harder to get to know people around us. And I won't say that you can go, you can go to a community group and nobody's ever been lonely who was in a community group. I, I couldn't say that, but, but it's harder because the groups are smaller and people tend to get to know one another. In a previous church I served, I got a call at about 1 or 2 in the morning. That happened many times, but I'm going to tell you about one in particular. And, and Connie always made fun of me because, you know, whenever we would, we'd get calls, you know, in the middle of the night, I would I'd jump out of bed immediately. I mean, I, on the first ring, I'm jumping out of bed, and I'm going to the phone. We didn't have one right by our bed. And all the while, while I'm walking over there, I'm going, <clears throat> okay, mm -mm, uh, hello, hello. Yeah, mm -mm. <laughs> Trying to get my voice so that when I answer the phone, I say, hey, hello, you know. <laughs> and she said, why do you do that? They know you were, you were supposed to be asleep during that time, and, and I don't know why I did. I don't have the answer to that one. But anyway, I, I said, hello, you know, and uh, on the other end, I, I'm going to change the name. Um, there was a man named Derek, and 
he said, uh, and I could hear a bunch of noise in the background. Now, Derek was uh, a young man, and his wife was in our church, and Derek had a lot of trouble with alcohol, couldn't control himself. And I could hear a lot of noise and everything, and uh, Derek says, uh, hey, Pastor Weldon. I said, hello, Derek, you know. And uh, he said, I'm down at so-and-so, and it was the, you know, kind of the neighborhood bar. And he said, uh, why don't you come on down? <laughs> Connie, can I go to the bar? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And I said, well, what's going on? And he said, and I could tell he'd been drinking, and, you know, it sounded like a bar in the background, and, and, and they were having a good time. He, um, he said, you know what? We're all here having a good time. <clears throat> all these people are really nice to me, and they accept me, and I can say anything to them, and they won't judge me. Now, you know what the implication of that is. Unlike the church, that's what he was saying. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, Derek. I'll, let's talk, but I'll pick you up outside the bar in 15 minutes or, you know, I set a time. Because I didn't know what I was walking into, you know, that late at night and so on. So I, I picked him up, and we drove over to the church parking lot. We talked for quite a while. And he told me the same thing. He said, you know what, everybody, they just accept me there. I can say anything I want, and nobody judges me. And I said to him, of course they don't judge you. They don't care anything about you. And when you leave and when they leave, they are going to go home in their own stupor and not think another thing of you. And that's the difference between that and the church. Because at the church, we're not perfect, but we do care about you. Well, he didn't get it that night, but ultimately he came to Christ and became a disciple. Ultimately, not because of what I said, you know, Ephesians makes that clear, but, but I'm convinced God used seeing, seeing the difference. And that's what the new community is. It's different than the imitation of whether it's the local bar or the fraternal organization, whatever, whatever is out there, they're trying to imitate the nature of the true church. Because there, here, is where real family is. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, will you show us 
how deep that connection is and remind us of, of our real identity. That you chose us before the foundation of the world. It's your precious spirit that indwells us. And then, Lord, help us to act like that toward one another. So that those outside the new community would see the beauty of the new community and, and want to meet the king of that community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.